This is Shannon Ray Davis, and you are listening to Omega Man Radio. Welcome to my world, the world of the Omega Man. Join us here for the nightly marathon, broadcasting Monday through Friday. You can find us here on YouTube, and we encourage you to report for duty. Get trained up. World of the Saints is coming. You want to be an overcomer and endure till the end. We will teach you how. We cast out devils. We command healing to the sick in Jesus' name. And we preach the full gospel of Jesus Christ to win souls for Jesus. I want to encourage you right now to subscribe right here on YouTube to this channel. Smash the like button and share a link to our live chat room to everyone you know right there on Facebook. Get them to come on out and tune in and join in the fight against the host of hell. If you'd like to support this work financially, we have a PayPal button on our website. We have GoFundMe, Zelly, even Take Bitcoin. And we thank you in advance for partnering with us. Our website is OmegaManRadio.com. One more thing before we start tonight's show. To the demons tuning in. We're coming for you, demon. No demon is safe. Brother Doug, let's do a sound check. Check, check. All right. Syphilis, I, syphilis. Oh, I don't want that one. <laughs> That's from Spinal Tap. Lord have mercy. Remember that movie? Oh, uh, you know what? I never saw the full movie, but I know that crew, though. Yeah, absolutely. I was playing. Um, we'll do sound checks. <laughs> let's see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Um, I had the clap one time. I'm just being transparent. When I was living on the dark side, had took had to take Zethromax for two days. Learned my lesson. Okay, <laughs> folks, Omega Man didn't live on the dark side. But, praise God, God didn't give up on me and save me uh, from my backslidden state 20 years ago, and I've been living for the Lord ever since, to the best of my ability. So, praise God. Folks, uh, we are going to uh, continue the program. Brother Doug, do you want to open us in prayer? Sure. Lord God Almighty, we thank you so much. Uh, Please help us in this time to focus on you, for the distractions to be set aside, for the voice of the enemy uh, to to be far, far away, that we would hear what you have for us, that we'd be able to test and know what is you? Accomplish your purposes in this time. Guide our words. Touch a cold to our lips. Help us not say anything that would hurt the bride. We bless your holy name. We thank you. Pray all this to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. 
And uh, I mentioned that uh, too much information detail only to illustrate the fact, folks, the Lord can take anyone and rehabilitate them. Uh, the Lord Amen. took me and put me back together again because I had fallen off the wall, Doug, like Humpty Dumpty and splintered into a, a thousand pieces. And he began the work of super gluing me through the Holy Spirit. Had to put me into dry dock, if you will, like a boat. Sand off the barnacles. Repair some timbers. Put a new coat of paint on me and set us off to sell into the podcast airwaves back in 2010. Now, you know, if I hadn't had the mercy of the Lord and a praying grandmother, I could have died and went into hell. And man, I wouldn't have had any excuse because I was raised in the church. But praise God for a praying grandmother who didn't give up on me and being raised up in the way I should go so that the Holy Spirit uh, brought conviction to me. And one day I just repented. I said, Lord, I don't want to do it, do it, live like that anymore. And uh, the wildlife was go- wild side was gone, and uh, I gave it over to Jesus, repented, and then the Lord began the process of restoration, which continues to this day. But He's not looking for perfect people. There are no perfect people. You know, look at the uh, Mary Magdalene, the harlot. Look at others that follow Jesus. You know, they're a ragtag crew, and. They're going to be sitting on 12 thrones to judge the tribes, along with the tribes of Israel, rather, to judge the nations. So, look, he can use anybody. He's just looking for people that are willing to say, Lord, I've screwed up, I repent, and uh, mean business with the Lord. And he's got the ability to do all the retrofit and restoration he needs to get you where he wants you to be and then use you. So praise the Lord. Um, that's my micro-sermon. And with that, welcome Amen. aboard. We've got this hour, got the next 55 minutes tonight. We're doing a five-show marathon today uh, with Doug Perry, and then stay tuned after this one. We're going to have Dr. Hanson on. Doug, um, we've opened up in prayer, so now I'm going to turn the microphone over to you. Take it away, my friend. Okay. Uh, on on what you were saying, I had a, a guy one time that was uh, disillusioned with me or angry or something, did a video telling everybody doug is 98 percent right but it's the two percent that'll get you <laughs> and i responded saying that's tremendously flattering because you're like 60 percent right and if you show me a hundred percenter i'll go follow them because <laughs> all god has ever had is broken flawed vessels to work with so so we're all gonna uh, you know our my focus the focus of my ministry what god has put on my heart is to bring the body together and to restore us back to the biblical model, which is the city church, one body per city under Christ. Church of Ephesus, Church of Smyrna, Church of Laodicea, Church of Jerusalem, that's the way it was. Everybody uh, in that locality is part of the body of Christ. The only allowable division is that you're part of the church of whatever Bali, and I'm Church of Church of Liberty, Missouri. We can't all be in one place until we're all part of the church of New Jerusalem. But... When we start breaking up, saying, I'm for Cephas, I'm for Apollo, I'm for Christ, even if you say I'm for Christ, and what you mean is, I'm not going to fellowship with the people that say they're for Cephas, then you've missed the whole point that uh, if I made it through the narrow gate and you made it through the narrow gate, then we're one, and uh, the last dying prayer of Jesus in John 17 before he went to the cross was not that, uh, uh, Lord, I pray that uh, they would be right as you and I are right, it was that we would be one. 
and uh, we're going to have to learn how to be one with some people we disagree with. Um, you can't have done 10,000 shows and and be in harmony and agreement with everybody that you've ever talked to about all every little point of doctrine. Um, Very true. But if, if they have Christ in them, that's what matters because uh, it's an illusion. You know, one of the funniest things, uh, I dare, I dare everybody, uh, whatever, whatever denomination you're in, go to the pastor and say, Hey, uh, uh, pastor Jesus was a Southern Baptist, wasn't he? Jesus was a Methodist, wasn't he? And you'll watch their face and they're behind their, behind their eyes. There's this, well, of course he was, but they know how stupid it is to say that. <laughs> so they're like, well, you got to understand there wasn't a Southern Baptist convention at the time of Jesus, but if there were, he would have been or whatever, because everybody thinks he's part of their denomination or, or, you know, that they're the most original, most authentic, most orthodox, most whatever. And, uh, and they're all wrong. There's, there's, there's no, no, no scenario under which, uh, we're all going to be in heaven and Jesus puts his hand around me or Shannon or anybody else and says, okay, this is the guy that had everything right. He was dead on. You should have listened to him. He was a hundred percenter. There's no no possible way. We are ants looking through the glass of the ant farm at the giant face looking back at us, assuring people we know what's in his head, and that is utterly ridiculous. Um, you know, praying grandmothers. So the uh, one of the errors. Uh, you know, if if she'd have been a full on reformed Calvinist. She wouldn't have prayed for you at all because you're either elect or you're not. And what's the point of praying? Because you're either you're, you're irrevocably going to be saved uh, no matter how much you fight it or you're not. Um, and and the, the Arminian argument is, well, it's all up for grabs. And But there's verses that say they're elect and there's verses saying there's some made for destruction. So they think, well, those, those are the two choices. No, no, that's the ends of the bell curve. Because in the middle, there's this humongous population of people we have to go reach. We have to preach the gospel to them. We have to pray them into the kingdom. Uh, people that wouldn't make it without that praying grandmother. And, uh, you know, else why all the parables about banging on the door and, and, and going to the judge over and over and whatever else. Um, That's the best explanation all... I've ever heard. I love that. That makes sense to me. Yes, sir. Yeah. And, and and this is the problem with uh, Bible exegesis that, um, unlike any other book ever, the Bible is so multifaceted, like a diamond, that you can you can pick it up and turn it this way and that, and see something that applied to you when you were twenty, that applies to you different when you're fifty, that applies to America, that applies to Bali, that applies to whatever, that applied to Israel at the time. And, and it'd be true on every level. And so what happens is, it, like on a piano, God plays all of the C notes. And your ear is tuned to the high C, and my ear is tuned to the middle C. And maybe there's some expectations and projections and what I think I want to hear, and somebody else hears a low C. And they're all exactly the same note. Uh, and even if they are in different octaves or different spirals, different applications... We end up like, I heard a middle C. Well, I heard a high C. You heretic liar, die, you evil, <laughs> you know. And, and, and we're all just hearing 
different octaves of the same note, different applications of the same thing, and then digging our heels in and sure that that's the only way he could mean it. And uh, it's it's really really uh, you know really wrong. So people people fixate on on first uh, first uh, Corinthians thirteen and tongues will cease. So that's not for today. That's not real anymore. And uh, and they want to dismiss all the other verses. So there's verses that that are Arminian. There's verses that are that are uh, predestinate uh, pre, predestined Calvinist. But then you got to ignore and do all these gymnastics to, to unjustify the other ones that counter what you're saying instead of just admitting you're an idiot and that he's in charge and love who he tells you to love. And uh, and if grandma is going to pray for the kids, you don't try and talk her out of it, uh, you know, whatever. Anyway, it, it's all religion. It's all religion. It's all system. It's all, it's all things that we have built. There is no five-point, here's how you understand God. This is the simplicity of who he is in the Bible. Jesus had to tell how many parables the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like, <laughs> because all of them are different facets, different different features, of, uh, and none of them fully capture who he is or what he's like or how he does things. And um, I find that the closer I get to God, the bigger he gets and the smaller I get. And and yet that doesn't seem to be um, the case in religion. Um, we we it's a very Greek uh, Aristotelian idea that the more we know about God, the closer we are to Him, and that's just not the case at all. It, it, faith like a child is how to get closer to God, and uh, humility, you know, a broken and contrite vessel He will not despise, a seminary trained full of itself faith like a belligerent teenager probably going to left get left on the street corner <laughs> who would dad rather spend time with the little kid in the in the booster seat in the back that thinks he's superman or the belligerent teenager that wants to drive and thinks he's an idiot um anyway uh i i didn't mean to uh launch into uh what's wrong with the system but it it, it probably is necessary to explain uh how we got here and the vision the Lord gave me and what I think is coming and and what what uh, the the part of the of the this little skit that I play um, so that people can maybe figure out how they're supposed to participate or help or what part they play in it all. But um, I've I've got a book on the website uh, fellowshipofthemartyrs.com. All of my eight books are there for free download. Uh, some of them have audio books. I wrote a book called The Do-It-Yourself City Church Restoration. And I lay out uh, everything the Lord showed me about why city church is the correct model. Now, there are uh, there, there has been discussion about city church in other uh, groups throughout church history. Uh, I think that's how it, it started, how God originally did it. The messages to the seven churches in the book of Revelation through John from Jesus are to all of the believers in that particular place. Uh, when Paul wrote, he wrote to the Corinthians, uh, to the church of the Corinthians. He wrote to the churches of the Galatians because Galatia is a region like you would write to the churches of Missouri uh, or the churches of California, not the church of Los Angeles. Um, anyway, <clears throat> how we get from here to there is a lot of what God put on my heart. And, and, when people talk about the last great revival, the Lord has always talked to me about restoration, that it wasn't 
breathing life into this uh, pig with lipstick. It was about rebooting it back to the defaults, the way it was in the beginning, the way it should have always been. And that means daily and from house to house and um, one body per city uh, with local elders, local direction, uh, local leadership, um, local issues to deal with, all of that. Not reporting to Rome or the the building in Nashville with the president who got elected or anything else, but but autonomous and independent, um, locally led bodies. Anyway, um, there um, I'm in uh, Kansas City, or in at least the metro area of Kansas City, and um, when I got I guess we should talk about how this started. I had a furniture business in Liberty, Missouri that was real successful. We were the number four fastest growing company in Kansas City. Several million dollars a year. Had 13, 14 employees. I'd all hired from church. And and I knew that I was running from God because he called me in the ministry when I was a kid. And I went to college planning on being a pastor. But I went to the Southern Baptist Convention and it was the most underhanded political backbiting, deceivingest thing I'd ever seen, and I wanted no part of it. So something about that that religious system broke off of me right then, and uh, I ended up in the business world for a number of years, doing different things, worked in higher education for a while, got a master's in education administration and other stuff, but I was running this uh, dot-com furniture business, and we were growing really fast. This is uh, 2004, and um, we started having Bible studies at my furniture store in the evenings, um, that were just uh, anybody who's welcome, don't care what church you go to on Sunday morning, just come and hang out with us and pray. And it's, and my Baptist friends and I were praying for the Holy Spirit to land on us in tongues of fire, but nobody knew how to do that. But we were hungry. And I was writing on the Internet about the financial state of the church and from a business perspective, how stupid this thing is. You know, we open a new denomination every 48 hours. We spend we lose um five and a half percent of all the revenue in Christianity to fraud and embezzlement from people inside the church. We spend $16 billion on missions, but we spend $8 billion going to conferences to talk about how to spend the other $8 billion, which is insane. No sales force of any business anywhere could survive that. And um, uh, anyway, I was writing online. I had a website called whatavewedone.org just trying to get my head around how bad things are and what we do about it. And um, I got an email from a guy said, Hey, I like what you're saying. There's a guy from New Zealand that's there in Kansas city. Kind of sounds like you, you might want to meet him. And he linked me to Andrew Strom um, from John the Baptist TV, who had moved his wife and six kids to Kansas city to uh, uh, because of his heart that he had for the prophetic history over Kansas city and feel like God was leading him to pick up some pieces and try fixing it. And uh, I reached out to him, and he was he was uh, calling for these John the Baptist woolly, raggedy uh, gospel preachers to rise up that would call people to repent and pucker the wallpaper, and nobody to invite him back and <laughs> be persecuted. And I, I sent him an email and said, "I think I'm one of those guys. Uh, I'd like to talk to you." And so we met. He was on the other side of Kansas City, on the south side. I was on the north side. We met in the middle of the Chinese buffet and got to talking, and he said, I, I've looked at your stuff, and I like what you're saying. I think what you're missing is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
I said, uh, I've had the Holy Spirit since I was six years old. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, he said, oh, I don't mean the redemption of the Holy Spirit. I mean the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And we talked some about, you know, uh, how the Baptists leave out a bunch of stuff and how one minute uh, Peter's uh, denying Christ and, the you know, a few days later his shadow's healing people. And something happened, and uh, my dad wasn't a cessationist that denied that the gifts of the Spirit were real. He, he was a missionary in a third world country. I remember sitting around at mission meetings with the dads, Baptist, Southern Baptist missionary dads, and sitting around a bonfire, somebody would say, come on, what's the craziest thing you ever saw? And they'd tell stories of seeing bullets do right angles and angels telling them not to go into that village and driving on an empty tank of gas in the mountains for a week. And, and, uh, but they couldn't tell those stories at home where they get thrown out. You know, now the son of Baptist make you sign a thing saying you will not speak in tongues personally or privately for the whole time you're assigned to be a missionary. Wow. And yeah. And, uh, it's gotten more and more fundamentalistic since, since the eighties, uh, and the takeover by a bunch of folks. Anyway, and they're losing people a million a year, dropping out and don't want any part of it. And now there's lawsuits because they've hidden a bunch of pastoral sexual abuse stuff, and it's all coming out, and they covered it up and whatever. Anyway, um, I, uh, I I was talking to this guy from New Zealand, and he said, why don't you come down? We're having a home group next Tuesday, and we'll pray for you to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I was loaded for bear. I mean, I was desperate and hungry and so I spent the next couple of days just, I read a, On the Holy Spirit by A.W. Tozer and, and just like, okay, I get it. I get it. They left stuff out. This stuff is real. I had read The Heavenly Man by Brother Yun about the underground church in China. And he was like broke out of high security prisons with his legs broken and, and rode a bike to a safe house. and all. I mean, just amazing stories that the Baptists don't talk about ever. And, uh, I actually went to the pastor at the Little Baptist Church I was going to, and I said, what about this uh, visions and miracles and healing? And he said, oh, no, none of that's real. That's not for today. I'm like, you know what? I think you're lying, and you don't know you're lying, which makes you really dangerous. So just take me out of the Rolodex. I think I think Brother Yun, who's responsible for like 10 million people coming to Christ in China, is more believable than you. So just, I don't, I've never not been a part of a Baptist church since I was born, you know? So just, I don't know how you do it, but just take me out of the Rolodex and don't call me no more. And, um, anyway, I went to this prayer meeting and, uh, I was desperate. I have had, I had had for, since I was, I don't know, 18 or 19. And I knew I couldn't be a pastor in that system, but I knew I was disobeying God. And I was still a good guy. I was still going to church and sitting on committees and teaching Sunday school class. But I knew that I was not doing what he called me to do. And I didn't know how to get back to that. And I didn't know how to fit in that system. And I had a sense of this um, odometer, like uh, the national debt clock or something, where the people I could have reached and the people they could have reached and the people they could have reached and how it was just racking up faster and faster every year I didn't obey. And I just wanted it to start like going backwards, like the odometer on Ferris Bueller's Ferrari. And uh, you're the right age to remember that one. And uh, yes, I, 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 uh, so when it came time, I, I went to the home group and, I just wanted wisdom. I want to see through the eyes of Jesus. I've always just prayed for wisdom. And 
and I, um, I, I got there and, uh, they wanted to have pizza and talk for half an hour. And I was not in any of that. And finally they, they're like, okay, let's pray. We're going to put a chair in the middle of the room and lay hands on you. And you just sit right here. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to the Lord in a chair. I'm going to be on my knees. You can bend over if you want to, but I'm not doing this in a chair. And, uh, so I knelt there and they started praying and they were praying in tongues, which I'd never been around before and was kind of distracting, but I got that they were sincere people and I don't care how you pray. Just get me to the goal line. I need more Jesus and I need some direction. I need a word. I need something more than what I have. And I started praying, Lord, show me anything that's in the way between me and you. And I'll say, I'm sorry. Cause I know that if we're distant, I walked away. He didn't move. It was me. And, um, I've read everything I can get my hands on about revival, the complete works of John G. Lake and Smith Wigglesworth and Reese Howells and Finney and everything. And I think I prayed the stupidest prayer I've ever heard of. And, uh, I prayed with all my heart and I expect when people tell me stories, I'm checking like, Lord, really? Is he fibbing, fibbing about this at all? Oh, no, that really, you know, whatever. So I expect people to be checking. You should be. Anytime anybody tells you they, whatever, saw the emerald rainbow or stepped on the sapphire or whatever, whatever. Anyway, uh, I prayed with all my heart, Lord, I don't care what it costs, uh, my business, my reputation, money, my house, prison, torture, my wife, my kids, I don't care. I just want to be the most dangerous person to Satan on the planet. And I had read about Brother Andrew smuggling Bibles into Romania and Richard Wormbrandt from Voice of the Martyrs being beaten in a Romanian prison for 17 years and Brother Yun in China. And I didn't mean it in a competitive way, like I, I need to outdo those guys. I just meant I have a pop gun. Please give me a nuke. You know, I got to make up for lost time. Right. I promise I won't shoot, shoot my eye out. Please <laughs> just l let me go as fast as I can possibly go and make as big a difference as I can to make up for lost time. And so for there's some prayers I think you can pray and like immediately get answers to. One of them is, Lord, teach me patience. You'd be waiting in line at Walmart forever, you know, <laughs> stuck in traffic. <laughs> you start praying that one. And uh, another one is, Lord, show me something to repent for. And... Uh, Oh, another one that we, we has been a uh, is uh, Lord, show me a time that I would have died if you hadn't saved my life. And we use that with atheists, and wow. immediately God will tell them or show them a picture of stuff that they didn't know, like they should have died, but He intervened, and uh, they're like, "Wow, that was that was that was an answer from something." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, that's God telling you how much He's been watching out for you." Anyway. Um, so I'm praying, Lord, show me anything to repent for. And I, I had heard God before in my life, uh, times when things were really important. And But between me being desperate and t six or eight people that are praying in tongues around me, uh, it was like machine gun fire. <laughs> and I don't have a fancy resume of uh, uh, doing drugs and being drunk and, you know, whatever. Uh, but there was still a lot of self and a lot of pride and a lot of stuff. Uh, resentment, unforgiveness, and other stuff he wanted to clear up. So right away, he's showing me people I need to say I'm, I, that I need to forgive or I need to let go of or stuff I shouldn't have done that I did and whatever. Somewhere in there, he says, I, I told you to go visit your grandma in the hospital and you haven't done it. 
And I'm like, yeah, I kind of thought that was you. She's uh, in the hospital, and I she's old, old, and I need to make up with her. And she's she has to go through the names of like eight grandkids before she gets to me, but I still love her, and I'll, I promise I'll go see her this week. Okay. And uh, you need to forgive Dan Dwyer. I'm like, are you kidding me, Lord? Third grade? Really, the guy that pulled my pants down in the middle of the football field? The only name I remember of anybody <laughs> from elementary school? And I swore someday I'd find him and beat the crap out of him. Did he <laughs> give Lord's him a like, yeah. on top of that? You, you got to forgive, man. You can't hold on to that. And I'm like, okay, Lord, bless Dan Dwyer, wherever he is. And... Uh, uh, just stuff like that. Just, uh, you know, you're still mad at the boss that fired you from that job three, three jobs ago. And all right, bless her wherever she is. Lord, I'm cranky, you know, help her, <laughs> help her find you. And, uh, uh, for about 20 minutes, I'm, I'm laying down everything, praying, whatever, begging to see through the eyes of Jesus, promising him whatever, repenting for whatever. And then, uh, uh, Andrew asked me if there's any history of masonry in my family, and I'm like, no, nothing like that. And the Lord says, yeah, but you were in a fraternity in college, and you had to swear on God that you wouldn't tell anybody about it. And I told you not to, and you did it anyway. And I'm like, oh, shoot, yeah, I'm sorry, Lord, I totally did. And I knew at the time I wasn't supposed to, and I did. And he's like, well, yeah, then you were the ritualist after that and made other people do it. Oh, shoot yeah okay i'm sorry lord and then it after about a half an hour of snotting and crying and praying and whatever it kind of paused and andrew felt to stand me up and as soon as he stand me up this open vision started and they call it an open vision because it doesn't matter if your eyes are open or not it just runs like a movie and you can't shut it off and i'm looking down on the planet uh and on the on the left hand side is the western hemisphere and it's covered in this black greasy oily nastiness with little tendrils like octopus ink spreading out all over the world and immediately i have chest pains and i start groaning and i can feel the wrath of god at this blackness and i know like you know in the dream you just know it's not it's not uh uh the illuminati or hollywood or liberal democrats or abortion it's the church and we're throwing up satellites so guys in the Philippines can cry and preach just like Jimmy Swagger because that's what the Americans do. And pastors in Africa can say, give me your last chicken so God will bless you and I'll get a jet plane just like the Americans do. Whatever. We're, we're exporting denominationalism to the underground church in China like they don't have enough to do. they got to use our quarterlies and defend our stupid arguments. And immediately I can feel the wrath of God and how furious he is at all this stuff. And on the other side of the globe, on the right-hand side, as I'm looking down on the planet, uh, are, there's a reel of faces of little kids, like, like a film reel, flipping by real fast. It'll stop. And there's a kid in Appalachia, and he's addicted to painkillers and illiterate, and it's the black stuff's fault. And the kid in China, he's lost and dying, and it's the black, black stuff's fault. And I can feel the love he has for these little kids, five, six-year-old kids, and the wrath for what we're doing to these little kids. And, and the, the film flips by real fast, and then it'll stop. And I know the story of that kid, and I know it's our fault. And it goes by real fast, and another one, and it's our fault. And I'm broken. I'm groaning and grabbing my chest. It feels like somebody hit me with an ice pick in the chest. And I'm, I'm snotting and bawling. And uh, Andrew had six kids. His daughter, Kirsten, was about 11 at the time. 
she's in her thirties now, I think. And she, I grab a hold of her. She's praying in tongues on my right. I grab a hold of her and I'm hugging her and petting her head and just apologizing to a little kid for what we're doing while I'm dripping snot and tears on the top of her head. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I'm like, Lord, how are we still here? I, I, you should have vaporized the planet for now. This is horrible. I had no idea it's this bad. And it just runs and runs and, and, and little faces of the kids and the black stuff just spreading out all over and I'm bawling and groaning. And, and, uh, after about 20, 25 minutes, the film reel goes click, 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 like, you know, old 35 millimeter film reels used to do. Uh, and the screen goes black. And the Lord says, you wanted to see through the eyes of Jesus. I showed you everybody. Now you're responsible. And I said, what do you mean everybody? I thought that was just a bunch of little kids. He said, no, that was everybody. I'm like, seven point whatever billion people just went by? He's like, yeah. Well, the way my brain works, in a 20-minute in a vision, like 150 people, 150,000 people somewhere in the world died every 20 minutes. So I'm like, were they in there or weren't they? He's like, don't worry about it. That was everybody. Okay, fine, whatever. Brain power time, flash your whole life before your eyes, right before you hit a deer. God can do whatever. Okay, fine, that was everybody. What do you mean I'm responsible? He said, you said you wanted to be the most dangerous person to Satan on the planet, so now you're responsible. I said, Lord, you're, you're telling lots of other people they're responsible too, right? It's not just me. He says, what is that to you? Now go. <laughs> don't, 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 <laughs> doesn't matter what I told John. Doesn't matter. You go do what I told you to do, Peter. And I didn't, I understood real clearly. It didn't mean I was the most dangerous person on the planet. It didn't mean I was the apostle of the end times. It meant you go as if nobody's going to help and it depends on you. So I've been 200 miles an hour with my hair on fire since uh, November 23rd, 2004, trying to turn this right around. And uh, immediately after that, a family of missionaries, mom and dad and four kids, showed up to Liberty, Missouri to volunteer at my for-profit business. And these weren't regular missionaries. These were crazy, live in a car, work on Indian reservations, sleep in a tent, poop in a bucket, whatever. They went to the border and said, um, we want to come on to the U.S. He's a U.S. citizen. They're all Canadians. They said, where are you going? We're not sure. How long are you staying? We're not sure. Who are you seeing? We're not sure. You got any money? Not really. Why are you going? God said, let me get my supervisor. Wow. Uh, where are you going? Don't know. Who are you going to see? Don't know. How long are you staying? Don't know. Why are you going? God said, okay, come on through. Wow. <laughs> three, or, three or four times like that. They just walked, came right through the border, and they just got waved through with no clue whatsoever. Uh, no plan, no nothing, just listen to God. So they get in the border. God says, go to Kansas City. They get here. God says, go to Liberty, help Doug. Um, the wife is like class one big gun intercessor. She would call me and say, I know you got the flu and you don't feel good. You've been fighting with your wife, but everything's going to be okay. I'm like, how do you know that? She's like, I've been in a fetal position all day groaning, travailing for you, and this is what the Lord had me praying for. So I figure that's what you're going through. I'm like, well, yeah, that's cool, man. I want some of that. <laughs> how do you get that? That's not Baptist. I want that. You know, 
And I remember one day in my office, I was sitting there thinking, hey, my mom always told me, don't you ever play with a Ouija board. Something will answer you, and it's bad. Well, how is it they keep their stuff, and all our stuff is dead? If they got zombies, we got raised from the dead. They got demons, we got angels. They got hexes and spells. We got blessings and healing. Uh, How come they can talk to their guys and we can't talk to our guys? That ain't right. What kind of war is this? When you take all the radios to headquarters away from one side of the war, but the other guys get to keep theirs. You know, I tell people, the Bible is an army manual. And it's a really good one. And the army manual tells you how to brush your teeth and and what the bad guys' planes look like and everything else and what not to do and when you're getting paid and whatever. But you don't send people off in a battle with just the army manual. As soon as things start flying, you need a radio to headquarters. You need to be able to communicate to the rest of your guys. Right. You can't just rely on that army manual to give you everything you need on the fly. It doesn't say in there who I'm supposed to marry, you know. I, I, I argued once with the Church of Christ pastor here in town where they sing a cappella. And I said, why do you, do you do this? And he said, well, we don't find any biblical evidence for instruments in worship. I'm like, what about harps and lyres and whatever? Well, that's the Old Testament. We don't, we don't believe that the New Testament had permission to use instruments in worship. I'm like, well, then they didn't have permission to drive here in cars and have a sound system and wear suits and have pulpits either you know <laughs> you're what they didn't microwave their food what do you why are you picking a fight over this thing that's not in there when there's lots of other stuff not in there why don't you just listen to the holy spirit you know we were having an event in the park and gonna invite everybody all the christians just come let's just have a sing-along and praise god together and oh well we can't come because you have drums well we can't come because you have a guitar well we can't come because you don't sing acapella well, for Pete's sake, th- that trumps Jesus praying that we'd be one, the Lord and Savior that we all say we're worshiping, whose last dying wish was that we'd be one. You're not going to be one over a drum set? Come on. You know, anyway. So, uh, finally, the vision's over. Click, click, click. It goes black. I'm twitching. I, I don't have any concept of what a baptism of the Holy Spirit ought to look like. But it wasn't their normal experience either. I just snotted on their kids and screamed for half an hour. <laughs> and, and we sit down around the circle, and they're like, uh, what was that? And I'm like, oh, we're in such big trouble. You got no idea. We got to go. We got to do something right now. This is horrible. And I tell him what he showed me, and I tell him what he told me. And one old, old school Pentecostal lady says, uh, I can see the Lord's really working on you. Don't feel bad you didn't speak in tongues right away. I'm like, honey, I didn't even ask for that. That was so far down the list. I I asked for wisdom, and he wrecked my life. I'm never going to be the same. I got way more than I asked for. I I never bargained for this. He just wrecked me. Don't bother me with the fine print right now. And then then they all sat there talking about how they got it a week later, a month later, or whatever. And I'm like, do you see the pressure you're putting on people to get a particular experience, your particular vision of how it ought to happen, and most of you didn't even get it that way? Uh, I I really – it really – uh, we we don't we talk about getting your cup full. If your cup's full, he's going to give you what you need, you know. And all the gifts will come with that. We don't put pressure on like the only you've got to have this as the evidence of of you know. I, I know people. I, I know a pastor um, is in a cessationist church that doesn't believe in the gifts, but when he prays, 
It's the Holy Spirit. He doesn't even remember what he prayed, but he's praying word of knowledge about the people in the room, and it's totally the Holy Spirit. And uh, like you can feel waves of the Holy Spirit coming off of him, but it's in English. You know, well, if he if he did it in Chinese, people would say, "Oh, that's tongues. That's that's a linguistic whatever." And I'm like, "Lord, oh yeah, I'm going to find a way out of him somehow." You know, there's a uh, I, I helped for a while at a ministry called Veronica's Voice, getting girls out of prostitution, and they have a, a drop-in house where they can take showers and have groups and commiserate together and whatever. And the lady in charge had a son by a John when she was a prostitute, and he was super sweet kid. I, when I was down there helping, he was probably 14, and he'd get out of school and the bus would drop him off at this at this uh, ministry place, and then they'd go home a couple hours later. And one day he comes in whistling, and I got an interpretation. And I'm like, Lord? And then wow. he, the Lord shows me in the Bible where it says, I will whistle and call the minstrels back to Jerusalem. That there's linguistic, that shepherds, even now with dogs and with, with the sheep, have certain whistles for certain things that communicate. Uh, uh, you know, go left, go right, circle them up, bring them in or whatever. And uh, so even, even you know, but groaning and travail is for sure. The Psalm, the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why are you so far from the words of my groaning? Well, it's linguistic. You know, your kid makes a certain noise. You know they're faking it and they're not really hurt. And then they make a certain, my, my daughter, it was how long she holds her breath from when you hear thud to when she starts crying. <laughs> and the longer that is, the more you know she's hurt, like really winded. And uh, But then there's a certain noise they make you know you better take the phone down the hall and call 911 on the way because this is really, really bad. That's right. You know, somebody somebody just lost an arm. And uh, and travail is that. You know, a, a dad knows uh, what Jesus says. I'm a worm and not a man. Why are you so far from me? Uh, the, 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 you know, it, he, it says he groaned within himself as he was walking to the tomb of Lazarus. This is the big miracle. Lord, Dad, I don't back, you know, back me up on this one. I need this one bad. They don't, they don't even believe it could happen. I've been three years with them. This is the one's going to get me killed. It's going to get Lazarus killed again. You know, uh, there, there's a lot wound up in that. And, and you, and he, it's twice. It says he groaned within himself and wept. So, uh, anyway, um, after that, I wrote the apology, of the world letter, that's been all over. I've got into a dozen different languages and sent all over the world. My apology for all the years I spent caring about myself and building something to grieve God instead of caring for the poor and, and taking care of others needs above my own and everything else. And, and in that letter, I commit that it's going to be different, that I'm, I'm me and my house are not going to support that anymore. We're going to try something different. And so the homeless shelter and the food pantry and, and all the outreach and everything that we've done since has just been, uh, a continuation of that promise that we're not going to buy a pipe organ. We're not going to put a million dollar chandelier in the sanctuary. We're going to, we're going to spend ourselves on the things that Jesus says uh, are like his, are after his heart. Um, and uh, where we recognize, you know, I was hungry and you fed me and uh, Lord, when were you hungry? Uh, the ones that did it right. They, they weren't doing it because it was Jesus. They were just doing it because it was right. Um, you know, anyway, so uh, the least of these are the thing, and, and we've been focused on that all along. Um, uh, this brings me around to uh, the prophetic history over Kansas City. Um, K- 
Kansas City was founded in the uh, 1840s as Kansas City, the city of prophecy. It has been a battleground. We're right in the middle of uh, the country, and it's been a battleground spiritually from the very beginning. Um, uh, there are several uh, global headquarters of denominations that were founded to be non-denominational, that were founded on anti-denominationalism from the Nazarenes, the Disciples of Christ, and others that uh, were headquartered in Kansas City. But we're also the headquarters of the uh, Universalist Church and, and Christ Scientists and a bunch of other stuff that that Satan has planted here. The Aryan Nation tried to move here a few years ago and um, got blocked, but uh, it has been a battleground. Uh, Dimitri Dudeman, uh, the Romanian prophet back in the 80s, uh, had a vision of a, a, a divide in the country spiritually that would manifest physically when there was a a terrible earthquake in the middle of the country that it would dump the Great Lakes down the Mississippi, wash New Orleans off into the ocean. Wow. That the Mississippi, that it was so bad, the Mississippi would flow backwards for three days and that the Mississippi river would be a mile wide and divide the country physically as it had been divided spiritually. He didn't know anything about the new Madrid fault, which is the oldest, an ancient fault right in the middle of the boot hill of Missouri, uh, near Memphis. And the last time that there was an earthquake in the 1840s, uh, church bells in Boston and Philadelphia rang. It was a 9.0 earthquake, the worst earthquake in American history, and created a lake uh, down there um, in Tennessee that's so deep we don't know how deep it is. And the Mississippi ran backwards for three days. Uh, the Native American, some prophet had a shaman had a uh, a prophecy that. When the, when the great river flows backwards for three days, they're to rise up and they, and they'll be able to push the white man out. But there wasn't hardly anybody around, so it didn't do a lot of damage back then. There was just a fort here and there and teepees or whatever. And, but now another earthquake on the New Madrid fault would, uh, pretty much wipe out Memphis, half of St. Louis. If the Great Lakes dumped down the Mississippi, it would wash New Orleans out in the ocean and um, uh, would be really, really terrible. Uh, over 20 years of doing this now, I have met a dozen or so people, pastors of different denominations, some of them cessationists, that God told them to pray for a 250-mile radius around Kansas City, that and it's always exactly 250 mile radius. And from different sources, different people, some not even sure how they heard it, but for years, that's been their focus to pray, pray, and pray for that. And that it would be a safe zone when everything falls apart. Um, Dimitri Dudeman had a, his vision in the 1980s was that uh, there would be. Uh, seven or eight flags, foreign flags flying over different parts of America that Mexico would come up from the south and Russia would come over the top and China would come on the west coast and the UN and others were coming on the east coast that the U.S. Army uh, military would uh, compress down into the center and begin to fight their way back and uh, that the nation would be divided because of this earthquake down the Mississippi. But that there'd be in his in his maps that he drew, there was always a safe zone right around Kansas City. And um, he he said, you know, if we can get 10,000 intercessors to rise up and pray, it won't happen in the 80s or whatever. 
um, during when, at the time the Cold War wasn't over yet and whatever. And uh, I guess he got enough intercessors to pray because uh, it didn't happen then. But um, uh, as most prophecies, I think we can maybe push them back or postpone them some. But if God said he's going to do it, he's going to do it uh, one way or the other. He told Moses when Moses went up the hill. Uh, because they're worshiping a golden calf. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy him and raise up a people that will obey. And Moses thought, well, he's going to use the Philistines or somebody else and wipe out the Israelites. And he said, please don't, please don't do that. Uh, and God didn't say, okay, I'm not going to do it. Uh, he just didn't do it the way Moses thought he was going to do it because he did wipe them out. Everybody that didn't have faith like a child, everybody over 20 years old, uh, had them wander in the desert, killed them all off, and then raised up a people that would obey and sent the ones with faith like a child to go into the promised land. So he was true. It just wasn't quite the way Moses saw or thought that it was going to be manifest. And that's the thing. We, we, we're always um, childishly thinking we know what he means and what he's going to do, and, and that's just uh, hubris, just pride. Anyway, um, in uh, the 1920s, there was a men's Bible study that started on people's lunch break in Kansas City that grew to like 60,000 men were getting together on their lunch break, businessmen for Bible study. They've, I've seen this panoramic picture. You can probably Google it, but of Kansas City of this Bible study with uh, uh, it's one of those like long, like it's six inches tall and two feet long wide, this picture downtown of all streets full of all these guys uh getting a picture for this bible study and uh record-breaking thing and uh in the 1970s there was a charismatic renewal event at arrowhead stadium that was supposed to kick off the last great revival but it all ended up fizzling with infighting between black and white and who was going to be in charge and everything else uh shoot my cordless headset is giving me a uh thing here but if it goes off it'll switch to the thing on the computer so you're sounding good heads up you have 14 minutes keep going okay um in 1982 uh a young pastor had moved to kansas city and he had a visitation from an angel that said do you want to have a chance to bring revival to kansas city and he said yeah and the angel said if you will teach holiness of heart steadfastness of faith day and night prayer and extravagant giving to the poor and restore the church of kansas city Revival will come to Kansas City. It'll spread all over the world and change the understanding and expression of God in one generation. He didn't know what to do with that. He had a little church with 20 or 30 people, and and so he just kind of guarded up in his heart. And then a few days later, a guy knocked on his door said, Hi, my name's Bob. God sent me uh, to uh, tell you that if you do these four things, holy, far, steadfast faith, day and night prayer, and extravagant giving to the poor, restore the church of Kansas City, that revival would come, and he gave me this verse to confirm it, to tell you, and he told me that if we get 500 people to fast and pray for 21 days, he's going to send a comet overhead to confirm that it's him. Wow, this book of Daniel kind of tell me my dream kind of stuff. That's a big deal. In all of my study of revival history, there's not a bigger kickoff uh, than that. So they get 500 people, get the word out. The guy is named Bob Jones, and he's got a reputation, and so it word gets out. Even though the the young kid Mike Bickle doesn't uh, doesn't have much cachet, but Bob does, and they get 500 people together. They don't know when the comet's coming, but they pick a date. And uh, after the first night of the 
fast. They wake up in the morning, and the headline on all the newspapers is the closest comet passed to the Earth. Nobody saw it coming. Uh, the closest comet passed in 200 years and documented for sure thing. So, wow, now it's making Charisma Magazine, and everybody's talking about it, and, and uh, people start showing up. Just don't know why I'm going, but God said to go to Kansas City. And uh, uh, they get given a building, and it starts growing. And the thing is, uh, these prophet types start showing up, and some of it's divination, and some of it's fake. And God told him to weed him out, but he didn't. And he thinks he's a pastor when he should be an apostle, and he's letting the prophets run things. And so it ends up running completely off the rails. And uh, it was the Metro Christian Fellowship. Then it was the, then the Vineyard stepped in, and then the Vineyard got out of it. And uh, by 1986, um, 96, um, one of the pastors involved, uh, Ernie Gruen, writes a report. Uh, when are, how long are we going to keep dancing uh, and uh, pretending that this isn't false prophecy and everything else? And then they get known as the Kansas City Prophets, and the whole thing comes crashing down. And Mike says he's sorry for being heavy-handed. His vision of restoring the church of Kansas City was to get 25 churches reporting to him, 50 spirit-filled churches reporting to him, and he would they'd collect their tithes and offerings and hit pray about how much to give them back. And he never he couldn't get past about 25. And then some of his prophet types would start going out to these churches saying, you know, God has told me that he's going to paint Ichabod over the door and hit you with an asteroid if you don't get on board with Mike. Did a lot of harm, hurt a lot of people. Uh, still to this day, there's there's people so wounded uh, by how that whole thing went down. Anyway, Mike says he's sorry, shuts the whole thing down, uh, goes to pray for a few years. In 1999, at the Gathering of Eagles in Colorado Springs, uh, announces, okay, we're going to try something new. Uh, God says his house is a house of prayer, so we're going to start the International House of Prayer and do 24-7 harp and bowl prayer. And uh, this is going to be great and bring in whatever. Um, the problem is that it's part of this whole new apostolic reformation thing that basically these super apostles think if they can get enough kids praying, God will pour his spirit out and they'll get some super power ranger walk through walls, bulletproof anointing that they've been promised and they can rule the world. And, uh, all the dominionism and seven mountains and all of it eventually ties back somehow to that. Uh, but it, uh, it's absolutely the wrong idea it's never worked it's futile and when the lord showed me the red dragon this spirit of delusion that covers ministries and 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 uh because they've gone their own way the first place i ever saw it was on the international house of prayer and um now they've got five six hundred of them all over the world and all these churches thinking that if we can just fill out a chart with people praying um somehow God's going to listen more and it's just useless words and it's no different than the Buddhist spinning a spinning a drum uh and keeping it going all the time we don't know why but somehow keeping this drum spinning is going to be a good thing and um the things the Lord what the Lord said was holiness to preach to teach to each individual holiness of heart steadfastness of faith day and night prayer and extravagant giving to the poor well, they've never done extravagant giving to the poor. And when they did, they gave a couple of percent of budget to some other food pantry to go do it. Now, what we do is teach people to take the crackhead home, put him in your bed, give him your last grain of rice, pour out the last drop of whatever good thing you have, believe God will replace it. And you can't, 
imagine if imagine if I put up a, 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 a chart and said, okay, Shannon, if you could be holy of heart for four hours, then I'll be holy of heart for four hours. If we can get this filled out, then we'll have 24-7 holiness of heart and steadfastness of faith. Well, it doesn't work like that, and neither does prayer. I'm a 24-7 prayer room all by myself because my life is a prayer, because everything I do, I've ceased from my labors, my career, my goals, my dreams, my aspirations, my whatever, and entered into him who is my rest, and everything I do is a Sabbath because everything I do is good for somebody. I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't have a hobby. I don't fish. I don't race cars. I don't nothing. Everything I'm doing is feeding or clothing or caring for somebody or keeping a roof over their head or keeping them warm or fixing their broken plumbing. <laughs> we're, we're like 10 below tonight and in mobile homes. Anyway, uh, in, in 2004, I got filled with the Holy spirit by a guy that was sent here to pick up the pieces because Mike dropped the ball and never did what God told him to do. But God has said that the promises are still there. And then the guy that got sent from New Zealand dropped the ball, and he didn't do what God was telling him to do. And the Lord had me rebuke him and tell him, if you don't get about it, he's going to get you out of here. And he didn't like that. But sure enough, a month later, rotated out of here, and now he's not even allowed in the States anymore. And uh, so here's the crazy part while we're running out of time. In 2005, God told me, don't get full of yourself. You're the backup of the backup of the backup of the backup. You're not my first choice for this deal, but there's nobody left in line. You need to pick up the pieces and finish what was started. I will fulfill my promises to Kansas City. Don't get in my way. And he said, you're the end of the line. There's not time to prepare anybody else, and you couldn't screw it up if you tried. Well, I don't think he ever told that. I've met a dozen people after Mike that were told to, that he's you're going to get the mantle and finish what he started that somehow screwed it up. And uh, he didn't tell them <laughs> that you're the end of the line. And uh, in 2005, uh, we prayed, uh, and Liberty got a lampstand. 2006, he sent me traveling around the country praying for other places and lighting little fires all over. And uh, uh, this revival that people are talking about has started here. It's just that it doesn't look like what people think. It's about holiness. It's about people getting to sanctification or consecration or baptism of fire, whatever you want to call it. Uh, young people walking so clean and so holy and so right with the Lord and, and walking in all the gifts because nobody told us not to. And, uh, they, oh, just get tongues and you're good. That's the end of the line. You're as full as you're ever going to be. No, no, there's a lot more. You could be a lot more full and you should seek all of him and less and less of you until you're a little speck under a Pacific ocean full of the Holy spirit and you can't get in his way if you even tried. Uh, anyway, people have been coming here from all over, you know, uh, and, uh, it doesn't, it's not a mass migration of thousands. Like you saw with uh, the Todd Bentley thing back in Lakeland, Florida in 2008, where like 10,000 people a night were showing up three weeks into it and it's flashy and whatever. But then the whole thing, completely unravels when it comes out that he's having sex with his staff and cheating on his wife. Well, just about um, in, in October, uh, it came out all of a sudden that Mike Bickle had had some inappropriate sexual things with women that weren't his wife 20 years before. And he, they distanced him from the ministry and started looking into it and then hired a law firm 
but it looked like the, they were going to be on the wrong side of everything and people complained. So they hired a more independent law firm. And, uh, then just a couple weeks ago, uh, Mike said, okay, yeah, I did this. I'm going to step away. And then his board said, we don't care if you want to, <laughs> we're going to make you step away. We don't want nothing to do with you anymore. Uh, we're done with you. And he was the guy that had the vision. He was the guy that the angel showed up to. And so now there's this big ministry uh, that's headless. Well, I think has been headless all along because he's been on the wrong track anyway, but more and more leaders are falling out of it and disillusioned by it and seeing that nothing's really been getting done. And they've been idolizing this guy all along. And, and uh, turns out he was hiding this, you know, from, from 20, 30 years ago and other, other people are coming forward now saying, Oh yeah, me too. Me too. Anyway, uh, I guess uh, one of the things God's telling us to do is build a computer system where every city, everywhere, people within that city will be able to communicate with one another, share resources, talk to each other, where the body of Christ can come together daily and from house to house. And and how do you get uh, Detroit or even Little Liberty, Missouri? We've got Somalis, we've got Eastern Europeans, we've got Chinese, we've got Hispanics. Who Who's the elders and, and what language you're going to sing in? Well, you could run it through translators, and everybody could benefit from the Chinese pastor's sermon. And then the, the elders will just bubble up to the surface as people see, you know, that guy makes more sense than the pastor I'm listening to or whatever. And um, the Lord tasked us with building a computer system for every city everywhere where to restore community because the Christians were supposed to teach the world how to care for your neighbors. And we've pretty much done exactly the opposite. We got four big churches on the corners of one intersection that won't talk to each other. So this is our gift from the Church of Liberty to the world to begin to restore community and put us back to that place. Because when everything hits the fan, you're going to want to know your neighbors and you're going to want to be able to communicate. And part of the vision is that it would be big enough and work well enough and uh, even though it's nonprofit, make enough money to be able to put a MaxFi repeater over a city uh, or a network of Wi-Fi over a city so you'd have an intraweb and be able to communicate even if the whole rest of the Internet came down, even if uh, cell towers and, and uh, 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 landlines and everything else went out, everybody's walking around with a radio transmitter and receiver in their pocket that could get Wi-Fi. So wow. uh, if, if all the churches cooperated – We've got antennas. We got pointy things on high places all over town. <laughs> if if we hung a Wi-Fi antenna up on the steeple, uh, we could easily build a net oh. over a whole city where you could communicate, even if everything else went out, and uh, shut to a idea. server on a on a generator, or solar powered, or whatever, or driving around in an RV, where you could broadcast to a whole city and communicate in a, in the case of a disaster. Doug? So. Hold yeah. that vision right there. We only got one minute left, but I want to hear more about yeah. that next time. That's exciting. Yeah, let's let's do that. Um, yeah, it really is. We've built a. It's oh, if you want to go look at it, it's called CitySaver.org. It's ugly. It's rough. It, it's not pretty. Uh, the plugins don't all work. But we built it for two cities. Oh, uh, here where you could at least get an idea of what it could do. And there's some, you know, local advertising, local whatever. Lord said, price is so cheap, nobody can say no. But but build it as a gift for the community to restore local businesses. You know, oh, the local wow. plumber, the local hardware store, 10 bucks. Uh, Lowe's and Home Depot, 
a thousand bucks. Citysaver.com? Is that what you called it? City Citysaver.org. Okay. Uh, give out your contact information. How do people reach you in your sure. ministry? And we'll put that in the show it's notes. Fellowshipofthemartyrs.com uh, is, is, is the main website where all the books and videos and everything are. We have over 2,000 videos on YouTube under FOTM1. And uh, the audio books, some of the books are on audio there for free. And all of them are on PDF where you can download them for free. Uh spiritual warfare and the restoration of the city church and how the how messed up church is and how it needs to change and how to hear God better and a whole bunch of different books there and uh, uh, we have a, a homeless shelter and a thrift store and a, a giant warehouse with community storehouse where people can bring extra uh, whatever clothes, food, wheelchairs and we give it out to whoever needs it and uh, you know if you need a coat I'll give you a coat if you want to leather chief's jacket you can pay for that and that'll help fund everything we're doing and uh it's kind of the the idea but uh fellowship of the martyrs.com yeah that's it doug thank you for coming on i'm sorry i ran out of time uh let's get right. another date awesome message what do you want to call this for the archive kansas oh i don't know the, kansas the vision problem? of how bad things are you know the vision uh yeah or the okay. yeah we'll see you soon brother yeah. god bless Thank you. God bless you, you too. Thanks, everybody. Folks, stay tuned. Dr. Hanson coming up next. Here we go.